Hello friends, and welcome back to Coffee Books. Today we are beginning chapter 5 in the book The Curious Barista's Guide to Coffee by Tristan Stevenson. Let's begin. Chapter 5. Grinding Coffee. Introduction. In the most basic sense, grinders take coffee beans and break them up into smaller pieces. Coffee cannot be brewed as whole beans, and the increase in surface area provided by smaller particles allows better access to the inner sanctum of the bean's porous structure. The smaller you go, the more the bean's surface is exposed, which means flavor is extracted faster. Put simply, if you grind finer, the brewing time is decreased. If you grind coarser, the brewing time increases. The grinding of coffee also marks a significant point of no return in the brewing process as, once ground, the coffee is more exposed and vulnerable to the effects of oxidation, and so it remains potent only for a brief spell. If you want to make better coffee at home, probably the best piece of advice that I can give you is to grind it fresh. It is no exaggeration to suggest that doing so will produce a dramatically improved drink when compared to the cup made from pre-ground beans. Taking this a step further, I would advise you buy the best grinder that you can afford. A good grinder will last years, require less in the way of tweaking and adjustment, and consistently produce better tasting drinks. You see, chopping up coffee beans might seem like only a minor part of making a tasty beverage, a basic but necessary step before the real skill of brewing comes into play. But shoddy work at this early stage of coffee's precarious journey has big consequences later down the line. History of the Grinder Before the grinder, there was the pestle and mortar. Both the Arabs and the Ottomans highly revered a good pestle and mortar, where was a sign of quality, and very old and well-used examples could fetch incredibly high prices at markets. For a long time, it did, it did the job just fine. But sooner or later, Basic mechanical mills were invented, probably in the 12th or 13th century, although it's unlikely that they were intended for the sole purpose of grinding coffee. Consisting of little more than a dome-shaped stone that fits snugly inside a concave bowl, they were basically a mechanized pestle and mortar with a handle to affect the grinding action. The first purpose-built mills with moving metal parts probably emerged from Syria, specifically Damascus in the 16th century. Damascus has a long history of making sharp metal objects, including its renowned toughened steel swords and knives, which, along with coffee grinders, spread through the Ottoman Empire and beyond. These early grinders were honed in Turkey, where coffee drinking was especially popular. Turkish coffee grinders first made an appearance in the mid-17th century, and this early design set the blueprint for manual grinders for the following 250 years. Indeed, examples from this era aren't dissimilar to, to today's small manual mills that function as handy travel companions. These early Turkish grinders comprised two chambers, one on top of the other. Whole beans were placed in the top chamber, and a handle was turned, milling the coffee and depositing it into the bottom cha chamber. The cutting implement in these devices was a precursor to the conical burr set, consisting of a stationary, serrated hoop with a beveled, cone-shaped piece that fit closely inside. The cone would be mounted on an axis with a perpendicular handle connected at the top, 
which could be turned by hand to mill the coffee. The Turkish grinder later evolved into the French and English lap mills, which worked under the same principles and usually collected the ground coffee in a wooden box with a drawer for easy removal. One of the earliest European references to a coffee mill comes from 1665, when Nicholas Brooke, living at the sign of the frying pan in St. Tudy Street, London, advertised that he was the only known man for making of mills for grinding of coffee powder, which mills are sold by him from 40 to 45 shillings by the mill. Many variations of the same theme appeared in the 18th and 19th centuries. Some grinders were designed to fix to a table, while some effectively were a table. Others were handheld, eventually becoming wall-mounted. The design of the cutter also evolved through this period, its evolution restricted only by the physical manufacturing capabilities of the time. At first, the early conical-style burr was cast with rough diagonal notches, but early 20th century designs show lathe-cut pieces with two or three different teeth sizes of teeth. These models marketed themselves as being quieter but it's likely that they also showed good improvements to the uniformity of the grind size and the effort required to get there too. Despite all this progress in grinding technology, it's surprising to learn that the humble pestle and mortar was still held in very high regard, right up to the mid-19th century. There can be no greater testament to this fact than the written approval of Jean Anthelme Briatsarvin, who conceded in his Physiology of Taste 1825. The unanimous opinion was that coffee, which had been beaten in a mortar, was far better than that which had been ground. It would appear that 19th century baristas were not bereft of a certain sense of sentimentality. The first flat burr grinders have their roots in a coffee mill patented by Thomas Bruff Sr. in 1798. The device used two fairly flat, three-inch discs with large and small cutting teeth to mill the coffee down to size. For his troubles, Bruff, who actually worked as President Thomas Jefferson's dentist, in addition to his job as a part-time coffee enthusiast, was actually granted the first U.S. patent for a coffee grinder. Adjustable grinders began to emerge through the early 19th century, and the American market in particular embraced them. American grinders of the time tended to be both of a larger capacity than European models, and more numerous reflecting the nation's love for coffee in its early years. At the turn of the 20th century, the coffee grinder was an indispensable piece of kitchen equipment across most of the US and Europe. The move towards motorized grinders, for a short time powered by steam but later on becoming electrical, made a coffee grinder a sound investment for the family home, since it could grind much finer, which people took as a sign that less coffee would be needed to make a brew. Mostly manufactured in Germany and France, the first machines for use at home appeared in the 1920s and were little more than manual grinders attached to a motorized belt. Operating at only 80 to 100 RPM, or revolutions per minute, they would have been capable of grinding no more than 1 kilogram or 2.2 pounds of coffee every 15 minutes. These clunky contraptions quickly blossomed into electrical artifacts of classical candy-colored bakelite, and some models even had two separate hoppers 
one for grinding the Sunday best coffee, and the other for grinding lower quality beans that had been padded out with malt or peas. The introduction of paper filter coffee in the 1930s helped create a market for electrical grinders in the home, but pre-ground coffee and instant or soluble coffee both emerged around the same time. Soluble coffee offered a more convenient, reliable, cheap, and modern take on the coffee experience. And following on from the instant coffee of World War II, it quickly became the expedient choice in many countries, including the UK and the US. On a commercial level, much bigger grinders were conceived toward the end of the 1800s to meet the needs of large-scale roasters and retailers, and eventually even those who were manufacturing soluble coffee. Roller-style mills appeared in Germany, with our old friend the Jabez Burns Company releasing its granulating mill in 1872. Descendants of this type of grinder continue to service large-scale applications even today and at the highest end, they can process many tons of coffee in an hour. Higher output grinders have generated new problems with overheating and clogging up, however. In response to this, manufacturers used larger burr sets to better dissipate heat, later on incorporating water cooling into their designs. It would be these themes of heat and output that would drive the developments of grinder manufacturers through the 20th century right up to present day. We'll leave off here for today and take off again next morning at the top of page 87. Thank you for listening. Good day and good coffee, friends.